0: we're in the mix right now is how I would put it I think we're in a moment in time when the cracks in the consumer story the sort of the deep lie at its heart is now visible to almost all of us and and we can see it whether we've chosen to name it and acknowledge it or not we can see it
1: Welcome to On The Edge, a podcast about making unexpected connections everywhere and anywhere. My name is Roland Harwood and in each episode I talk with someone who's making sense of our increasingly connected world. In this conversation I spoke with John Alexander who's author of a new book called Citizens. John started his career working in the advertising industry, selling some of the world's biggest brands and winning plenty of awards along the way but then he realised he was caught up in a story he didn't believe in, the consumer story. So in 2014, John co-founded the New Citizenship Project. Their mission was to figure out how to use their skills and not just sell stuff to consumers, but involve people in the decisions that affect their lives as citizens, working with the likes of The Co-op, Body Shop, National Trust, BBC, and the European Central Bank. In this conversation, we talked about a brief history of humanity from people as subjects, to consumers, to citizens and how the citizen story is different to some of the progressive stories and ideas that have preceded it, and how the pandemic has shifted the role of people and power and governments and corporations. So I started out by asking him, what is the citizen story and why is it important right now? Enjoy!
0: Human beings are citizens by nature. We are collaborative, empathic creative creatures who can and want to shape the world that we're in for the better if we're given the opportunity. One of the things I found out as I was digging into the book was the etymology of the word. So there's a real danger talking about citizens when people think that you're talking about the legal status or the idea of a citizen as opposed to a non-citizen and one of the things that sits behind that is an assumption that a citizen is somehow geographically defined in its own terms and that i think comes in part from a sort of common sense assumption that the word citizen probably derives from the word city there's a geography and a place and then there are people of that place and from there you get like passport holders and rights and all that sort of stuff and what's fascinating in the if you dig into the etymology is actually the derivation works the other way around. The sort of Latin derivation actually means together people, some people who can only by, be understood in their sort of interdependence, if I sort of project a bit more meaning onto that. And the word city actually derives from citizen, it's, it's just a place where people are together. That flip, I think, is really powerful in just going, no, no, no. Like we're, we're citizens. That's who we are, and we we don't have to defend ourselves against this the sort of possession-based. What I would describe actually as the consumerization of citizenship, because it's just who we are, and and I think that's really important because. If we lose language like citizen, if we lose those embedded ideas, those deeply powerful ideas about collaborative collective identity that are that are sort of deeply woven into the language and have been for centuries, then I think we lose something really valuable and, and give it up. So,
1: yeah, we exist in our relationship with others in some ways. You said we're born as citizens. Does that mean somehow citizenship is drummed out of us or discouraged or historically has been.
0: Yeah, I I think it is today. I think this is really the heart of the argument I make is that we're we're living in a moment in time where we've been trapped in what I call the consumer story for the last eight decades or so. And and before that, we were trapped in what I call the subject story for, for centuries. And yet, like underneath that, and our sort of our deeper nature, as it were, is to be citizens, to be to be collaborative, creative creatures who want to sort stuff out together.
1: So yeah, let's go to the consumer story then. What is that?
0: Until the end of the 19th century, beginning of the 20th, and for a long time before that, we were something like subjects. The subject story says that the right thing to do is to keep your head down do as you're told on the basis that the god-given few know best and so the rest of us little people just need to stick to our knitting and do as we're told and the best society will come out as a result of of that sort of splitting of roles, as it were. Coming out of the Two World Wars, that that story was more or less deliberately replaced by the consumer story. And the consumer story says the right thing to do is to get the best deal for yourself, to look out for number one, uh, to choose the option that suits you from best from those that are offered. On the basis that If we all pursue our individual self interest, then that will add up to that will sort of magically add up to the best outcomes for society as a whole. And the citizen story, as I say, is a story that says, like, get involved, shape the context, like, contribute your ideas, energy, and resources because all of us are smarter than any of us. And so when we do that, the best society results because of it consisting of the experiences and wisdom and contributions of everyone. And so those are the three stories that I'm playing with. And
1: without giving very much away, you're making the case that we're in a sort of tipping point from that consumer story into a citizen story, or that's partly what the book is all about. Just quickly going back to kind of pre-history, pre the subject story that you just described. Do you think there was a there was an original citizen story in hunter-gatherer times or something like that?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think I mean, I think indigenous wisdom is full of ideas that feel much closer to citizen thinking and citizen language in in the way I've defined those. Three stories than to either of the others. I think I came across this beautiful phrase, campfire democracy in my research for the book. I think that story has kind of bubbled throughout human history. I think it's far truer to say that we're sort of original citizens than it is to talk about original sin, Should we say.
1: All of those three stories, the subject story, the consumer story, the citizen story are singular, not plural. So individual rather than collective and you do talk at the end of your book around the kind of hero's journey. Stories typically follow a arc of an individual. How do we tell? How do you tell the story of citizens, plural, and you know groups of people in an interrelated way?
0: One of the edges of my learning, as it were, is like if it's subject consumer citizen, then what next? <laughs> and I think that's really interesting. Like the idea that so one person challenged me: do we do we really want to replace the consumer with another dominant story? And I think. I, my answer to that is sort of twofold. Firstly, I think the citizen story sort of has much more space in it to, to be a kind of agglomeration of multiple stories about what's right and how to be. Um, but I, I also think it's potentially a, tra- a sort of transitional story, a story that opens up more possibilities in the future. The other thing I would say to your question is that what what I'm talking about isn't so much a kind of... Um, even about an individual or or an orientation to the world for an individual it's about how we see one another and what space we make for one another is probably the most crucial aspect of it so in a in a subject story the there is no space made for one another there are commanders and there are obeyers there are kings and there are subjects and in us in a consumer world there are there are people who make the, who, who shape what the choices are there are relatively few few producers and there are many consumers and are the, the role inside the organizations and institutions of society is to offer choice to shape what the options might be but not to it's to sell not to involve. And so in a citizen society, in a citizen story, the the right thing to do is to create space for the other, to facilitate, to invite in, to shape together, rather than simply to either command or serve, actually.
1: Hmm. I think I share a huge amount of political, social, philosophical values, uh, not to mention a range of the case studies and people you talk about in the book are familiar to me, um, in some cases very familiar to me. So I'm coming very much from a supportive point of view. Um, If I was being cynical or or challenging, people outside of the UK may not be aware of something called the big society, which was kind of (laughs) a, a big thing 10 years ago or less than 10 years ago in the UK that sort of crashed and burned somewhat. But it was an attempt to move beyond big government, I suppose. So how is the story that you're telling and willing into being different to some of those things such as the big society that have gone before
0: lovely question I mean I think so I think I mean to be fair to the to the sort of architects the thinkers behind the big society I think I think they were onto something right like I think the idea that that we should have a big society rather than big government or big market or or at least as big as those two was was the right idea and it is pretty much you're right that's pretty much what I'm saying But I think the vital point I insist on in this is that the context and the space and the resources have to be there for that to be possible. And I think, I mean, this is this is not rocket science either right like it's fairly widespread accusation of the big society that it just became cover for ripping funding out of government and actually wasn't about providing any more resources to unlock and enable one of the organizations that you and i both know very well and i write about in the book is participatory city right and i think that Mm. that original conception that tessie and the and the team had or and still have i think of the idea of a support platform as being the essential and a set of A set of facilitators and and pollinators and champions and key resources. And Tessie goes further, I know, than I talk about universal basic income. Tessie would go further and talk about universal basic everything. But I think that idea of this requires there is investment here. It's not just that you step out of the way and leave people to it, nor is it that you have to train people or teach people to be citizens. That it's not that we are blank slates and we've been taught to be consumers, so now we have to be taught to be citizens, and so it'll be generations. I, like we've talked about already, I see people as citizens by nature, so all we need to do is create the space in a sense, but the difference to something like big society is the insistence that there must be, there is a role for enablers and facilitators and and, and resources in to make that citizen society plausible and a reality. It's about power. It's not just about getting out of the way, it's about putting more power in more people's hands.
1: Mm. I so want this to be true, John. I really, really do. But again, I just want to...
0: Yeah, keep kick, kicking. Kick, kick.
1: I don't know, where are we in the transition, would you say, from that consumer story to the citizen story? Is it wishful thinking that we're going to somehow get unhooked from this consumerist society that, that we've all grown up in and uh, into something that's much more egalitarian and participatory? You know, at one level, that sounds you know, brilliant kind of utopian, but also the risk is, you know, it could be dismissed as kind of naive yeah or impossible so how do you yeah where do you think we are in that transition and how how do you address some of those challenges
0: we're in the mix right now is how i would put it i think we're in a moment in time when the cracks in the consumer story the sort of the deep lie at its heart is now visible to almost all of us and, and we can see it whether we've chosen to name it and acknowledge it or not we can see it
1: and so the deep lie if you can be explicit the deep lie is what
0: that selfishness will add up to selflessness that the individual self-interest can add up to a collective interest it, it simply yeah. doesn't so you, we live in a moment in time where we have a, a climate emergency and we're the story tells us that we that our agency is limited to choosing between stuff on a shelf that that's the extent of the contribution we can make we live in a Mm. in a period of deep inequality and yet the story tells us that that the right thing to do is to sort of climb and and compete and get ahead we're we live in a time of like massive loneliness and yet the the story tells us that we're we're individuals and we stand alone and we like that's how we make our meaning in the world and so Mm. on all of those levels that that idea of of the individual in that sense and the pursuit of individual self-interest in that sense is fairly obviously broken and I think I think the times we're living in are times of suspended disbelief in that breakage. Where we are now, as a result of that, is both dangerous and filled with possibility. So the danger is pretty obvious. It's like in times that feel unsafe and uncertain, the appeal of the old subject story, the appeal of the strongman leader is extremely powerful. And like protection has always been the bargain of the subject story back to... I talk about King Sargon of Akkad in the book going back to like 2500, but like it's an old thing. But equally, I do think it's genuinely possible because I think it's bubbling everywhere. And that we could step into the citizen story and the, the the story that i that from the book that i think most speaks to this possibility and makes the possibility real for people is what's happened in taiwan over the last decade mm. and how we that that nation has gone from a place where it was essentially kind of a quasi technocrat quasi authoritarian state as as recently as 2012 and then you had sort of there's been a, a transformation led by a kind of community of of hackers actually sort of creating parallel institutions to government institutions. And then a a moment of protest when there was a demand to step into those new institutions and the door was opened by a key figure in in government. And Mm. and since then, that moment happened in 2014, in spring 2014. And since then, the relationship between citizen state in Taiwan, a nation of 23 million people, has transformed to the extent where where their response to COVID was an entirely kind of collaborative, open, participatory citizen response, drawing on ideas to such an extent that one of the key things they did was set up a phone line where any citizen could ring in with ideas for how the country's response could be better with a voicemail recorded by the president. Like these things are, there's so much detail in that story and so much that's exciting and interesting. But the critical thing to your question is the fact that It was four years from the inception moment to a fundamental transformation of relationship between citizen and state. It's like, it's right there. And then, when you put together that what's happened in Taiwan with the work that Tessie's doing with Participatory City and how that's being latched onto by cities and neighborhoods all over the world, and you put that together with the neighborhood democracy movement that's springing up, and you put that together with asset based community development that's coming out of Ireland originally, and you put that together with the, the rise of purposeful business and the idea of crowd equity and the idea of, of crowdsourcing ideas, and how, how we're leaning into the fact that actually, when you open up and and tap into ideas from more sources. You get better ideas and you get there quicker. The way I would really sum this up, I think, is to go, if we think about the challenges we face, and I think probably that we, you and I were exchanging the other day about, about Azim Azar's work, and he talks about the exponential gap, by which he means there are all these technologies and these sort of dynamics in our society that are exponential, but our governing functions are only evolving at a linear, on a linear rate. And so the gap between the exponential curve and the linear line is growing incredibly rapidly. And I guess my, my argument, one of the reasons why I think this is incredibly possible in, in, and actually on the balance of probabilities, actually likely to be the story we step into, is that the only way I can imagine of, of closing that exponential gap is to is to tap into the ideas, energy and resources of everyone. The, there are going to be lots of these moments in the in the in the coming years that crop up when we could and when leaders and institutions could open the door to the citizen story and the critical factor i think is whether whether they'll be able to see it and whether they'll have the conf- the deep confidence required to step into it and ultimately that's why i've written the book because i think the risk in this moment in time is that we only see two options we only see the consumer option the sort of the back to normal or the subject option, the the strong leader. And I I want to name and point to in my in like a humble, like an offering way, that there's another way.
1: I love it. Your and your enthusiasm is infectious. I can sort of feel it sort of rising You're within me You're starting to believe,
0: Roland. You're starting to believe. <laughs>
1: think you're quoting somebody else in the book but you talk at one point that we can't have a paradigm shift without a paradigm to shift to so you're sort of trying to or you are naming and articulating that new paradigm
0: that's exactly right and i and i don't actually think we even had those stories well enough developed when the pandemic hit right like i think and this this was the moment when i like felt i really had to write the book was when in the like in those first months here in the uk and across the world i know like mutual aid was springing up here we had like those do you remember those viral kindness postcards that said like can i help that uh, that were dropping through letterboxes i do yeah yeah and then and we had do you remember the nhs first responder thing so they set up a website for that was anticipating 250,000 volunteers in 3 weeks or something and they got 750,000 in 48 hours we were there dude like we were ready but we were in lockdown, and we, we we as a nation had really like leaned into it. We we we'd been ahead of the government regulations. We were doing more than we were asked to do. We were getting each other through that with this NHS. But that was a moment right then, on on a similar scale to that to that moment in Taiwan when the when the Speaker of the Parliament, like when when as I said, someone in a real position of power, actually made the transition possible. That could have happened here
1: yeah i have my own experience of that on the street where i live uh, somebody organized well lot lots of support for neighbours in in terms of getting shopping or uh, you know um shielding but also we had a weekly bingo which went on for most of 2020 and i think it was quite common in lots of streets where people would sit outside and uh call the numbers up and down the street and post them on whatsapp and it was just you know it, it connected me to my the people on the street that i live far more so than anything before or since but uh, but yeah that also it feels it feels like slightly ancient history even though it was only slightly over a year ago
0: I, think, I just think that's so interesting there's a lovely um to anthea lawson the, the uh woman who wrote Entang- the entangled activist i don't know if you've come across that work i haven't no one of the, uh, one of the things she's talked about i think i've got that right um is the idea that we're in this moment of almost composting that stuff feel might feel like ancient history but it's it's right there like those mm those connections once formed don't disappear but they are latent and they are they're they're there in this in this moment and they could be reawakened the the fact is though that we and this is why i think the 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 concept of story or the metaphor of story is so powerful because one of the ways i've put it is like we are citizens by nature but we are also storytelling and story dwelling creatures by nature and it's to stories that we appeal for our understanding of what the right thing to do is and Just to go into this a bit deeper, like that moment in time when the message shifted from stay home to stay alert.
1: Yeah, you talk about that in the book, and I'm not quite sure I fully understood the nuance of the shift. Can you explain that?
0: Yeah, sure. So, so basically, if you think about, so I've talked about the idea that the the sort of bargain of the subject story is protection, right? Having let the virus sort of get hold here in a way that didn't happen in certain places in the world, the subject story was then imposed. And that's what stay home, save lives. That's what that stay home message was. It was like, we are here. The great protector is going to come in and set the rules. And like, we government will protect you. And you had Rishi Sunak going, we'll do whatever it takes. And all of this stuff, it was like the the heroic government to the rescue moment and then as that began to like we forget but like in mid-may that was falling apart the week that the message changed that was the same week that britain exceeded italy for for as the highest death rate in europe and the shift in message from stay home to stay alert was one that said the government is no longer in its heroic protector role so instead like we're going to make you look at each other and what happens to you is your responsibility by extension what happens to them is their responsibility now remember again at that time like manchester was still on a rising case number london was on a slightly declining the, the manifest consequences were to say were to encourage people in the southeast to look at each other and say, "Well, weren't we? Weren't we good and alert?" And to look at those in the north, in the northwest, and other parts of the north, and say, well, oh, they weren't. They weren't very alert, were they?" Personal responsibility, everyone for himself. Like that. That is the that is the the, the consumer logic. And that, this is what I'm saying. That that moment for me was a moment of going, oh my God, these stories are right here. But that mutual aid, that the, the street bingo, that's great, by the way, was everywhere. And it is there in us now. That is still like, it may feel like ancient history, but it's right there. If that, that sort of headline story of our times were to lean into that, which I don't think is that hard to do or that far away in so many ways and could be led by businesses or ngos or 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 local government it doesn't have to be national government then people are people are ready for that we we wanted that and we want it we want more of it because it's who we are
1: i do agree with that and yeah i'm just kind of reflecting on my own experience of all of that and but there's that subtle interplay between a strong and a big government on top of all that you've got multinational corporations who you know whilst government might be flip-flopping playing different roles business comes straight through the middle and finds a way to make a hell of a lot of money regardless of that mode of government so yeah so what's the role of business and corporations and kind of commercial pressures in amongst all of this stuff?
0: I mean, I think there's a couple of things. So the first is I think business needs to not be the most important institution in society. And I think curbs on the power of business are starting to sort of become more likely. But I also think that this sort of shift and the idea of becoming a citizen business is entirely plausible and possible and could well be on the terms on the existing terms, a massive competitive advantage. Like what, imagine a unit, if Unilever, Unilever is a fascinating organization. It's one I've had a run in with in my time. But, and but imagine if in this moment in time where it's sort of being, being circled and sharked, it were to transform itself into a, in, into into a beast that tapped into the ideas and energy and, and so on of, of its customer base. It didn't just treat us, treat people as consumers, but it went like, let's, let's become the sort of biggest catalyst for open innovation in the world. and, but you can imagine a an open innovation driven company of that sort out competing dramatically because their creative resource their creative base would be infinitely greater there's a There's a kind of internal logic that's driving this i think which which is that the best companies. They will, they will start to find the competitive advantage in this. But w- one of the things I, I, I think about this work and I find so like exciting about this work of, of talking about consumers and citizens rather than talking about capitalism and post-capitalism or anti-capitalism or whatever is that you, you sort of flip the telescope. I don't, I'm not demanding that we have a new economic system. I'm simply demanding that we orientate ourselves in the world we live in today in a different way. And if we do that in business in ngo in government then we might end up creating a system that isn't any longer recognizable as capitalism or we might not i just have to go what would i do in this situation if i truly believed in my own agency to save to, to do something better in the world and i believed in the employees and the customers and the public as people who who have that kind of agency and that kind of desire as well what would i do if i flipped my mindset so that i wasn't asking what can i sell you but how can i involve you
1: mm. john i'm really i mean uh, i'm sort of 100% with you on everything that you're saying and yet how do we make this tangible how do we flip the script i i, I do like what you've said about inverting some assumptions one of the things you talk about towards the end of your book is a, a need for a new universal declaration of human rights and I was intrigued by that and I was curious what that might say or or, and how we might even begin to persuade people or governments or or corporations what have you to to buy into that
0: just in terms of what that is as an idea like I think I think what you're sort of asking is I want to go with you I want to go with you yet it still seems Yet it still seems naive and idealistic. <laughs> and uh, there's a phrase that um, my a mentor of mine, a woman called Auret Gal. has this lovely phrase. She talks about uh, social acupuncture, which is the idea that you don't like you don't really transform a system by sort of master planning the next system and then launching it. The social acupuncture says like the energy for the existing system is released by like intervening at multiple different points that aren't that don't necessarily like look like the most effective or the most the the sort of intelligent transformative points but you but you unleash energy through them and that energy builds
1: Mm, i like that
0: so the theory of change I play with is that it's essentially one a combination of sort of what I talk about as rituals and totems, small things that, that in the day to day that can kind of carry a different story. And so one of the, one of the projects I'm really excited about is um, I'm working and have been for a little while on the concept of a citizen confidence index that might replace the consumer confidence index as a measure of success of society that's discussed mm. and might might talk about like what, what how relative self-perceptions of of agency in in the world but then these totems i think uh, complement that so it's about like the big sort of symbolic projects or, or initiatives that can kind of carry a a new story about who we are and how we might interact A little bit like, I mean, in the book, I talk about uh, how the National Trust, the work I was involved with there, gained a huge lease of life when we rebranded one of the staff cohorts as rangers and gave them red uniforms instead of of wardens and and with camouflage uniforms because Mm -hmm. it was a really visible thing that said, no, no, we're about being visible and out there and connecting people in nature, not about being hidden and behind the scenes and jumping out from behind trees to protect them from children. Like when you do something big and visible, it carries a story about the whole, but it's those kinds of things where you, we step out of a mode of rejecting or defending and into a mode of creating and inviting in because, and that, again, like that, that story of what happened in Taiwan and, and the, the, their mode of operating, of creating parallel parallel institutions and then seizing the moment to demand their adoption is one to learn from as a theory of change.
1: Yeah, I definitely want to go back and look at learn a bit more about what happened in Taiwan. But I love the idea of social acupuncture. I'm going to think a bit more about that. The Taiwan example is obviously a country-based example. And um, are we basically... Transcending national governments and forming our own kind of global governance of some kind or global movement at a macro level, but with lots of shards of acupuncture in different places or different spaces to... To bring that system together,
0: I think Azim in, in exponential talks about the these i can 't remember what he calls them, but they 're sort of coalitions of the willing that, that aren 't the g20 or the g seven or whatever that, that identifies itself by scale but there 's so the sort of the digital nations group, which is like the u k and estonia and and Taiwan, I think, and a couple of others and who are sort of figuring stuff out together and you 're like that 's pretty cool and then you 've got c forty the the sort of coalition of cities and you 've got you got mayors for a guaranteed income in the states, which I would love to come over to the UK and get some get some UK mayors. Like, I, I'm not uh, I'm not one of these who who says that this is about the end of the nation state or whatever. Again, I go back to the sort of the emergent answer, the the, the reason why I prefer talking about citizens than I like talking about capitalism because I think you, uh, if we adopt that orientation and and sort of trust the the instincts and the questions that come from that orientation then i think a lot of the rest follows from there and and that may well mean that may well mean coalition's the willing and and working with what's possible rather than rather than trying to sort of lobby a pre-existing organisation i think that's very likely in fact
1: so just as a final question then what tell us a bit about the new citizenship project and how people could get involved if they're sort of inspired by some of the ideas that you've talked about
0: so new citizenship is a, is essentially a consultancy business like we work with organizations of all shapes and sizes to help them essentially with the with the question what would it what would your organization look like if you thought of people as citizens rather than consumers right like how how might you uh, how might you transform your organization just as people have talked about digital transformation what would citizen transformation look like and and how and how can we help you do it beyond that i mean i think I think what I'm trying to do right now what I the reason for writing the book as I say was to try and name this sort of alternative that I don't believe is sufficiently visible right now and I'm really keen I'm not in, uh, appropriately enough as given what I preach I'm not really here to sort of sell copies of a book I don't really care how many copies of the book I sell what I care about is is whether is trying to share the ideas and 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 help people with who who are open to them particularly those in positions of power who are, as I say are kind of are essential to to sort of opening the doors to to this to give them a place to engage them I'm I, I just really want to get this out there into the world and, and offer it whether it's to community organizations that to give them the confidence that they're that they're doing the work or to institutions and uh, and, and centers of power to to help give them the confidence actually because I think that's a big part of what it is to to open the door, to step back, to, to pass the mic and 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 give those make sure we don't have another one of those moments when street bingo is kicking off <laughs> and and the next time that happens we don't squish it, we, we we step in behind it and go, this is the stuff. What if we built a nation out of this?
1: Thank you, John. I really liked his energy and enthusiasm for the citizen story. It's infectious. And the fact that we can't have a paradigm shift without a paradigm to shift to. And maybe this is it. I was particularly taken by the story of the changes in Taiwan in 2014. And lastly, I was particularly drawn to the idea of social acupuncture. You'll have noticed that we talked several times in this conversation about participatory cities, of which I'm a trustee, and its founder, Tessie Britton, who I interviewed way back in episode four of this podcast. I'd also just like to thank Francine Bennett, who introduced me to John relatively recently. So many thanks to Fran for the introduction. This podcast was brought to you by Liminal, a collective intelligence community, and we couldn't produce this podcast without all of the support and help of our community members, clients, partners, and patrons, so many thanks to you all. Please check out www.weareliminal.co for more information, and please can I ask that you like, rate, and subscribe to this podcast, and perhaps share it with others who might enjoy it as well. Until next time, please keep on connecting people and ideas. If you do, you never know what might happen.